Welcome to the Heart of Soul podcast, an exploration of who you are, what you are, and why you are, offering new ways to investigate age-old questions at the heart of you. Hi, it's Joseph, and thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. What would happen if everyone on the planet were to experience God directly? What would have to happen for that to be possible? Why have philosophers spent thousands of years trying to prove the existence of God, yet failed? Today we discuss these and other existential questions, including the limits of reductionism, the real definition of a false god, the difference between religion and spirituality, how Zen creates attachment to unattachment, and much more. Also, a quick announcement on June 17th in the Clubhouse app, our friend Eric Grace will host a gathering of EBE and Soul Mentors to talk about identity and answer questions for participants. That will be at 10.30 a.m. Pacific Time on Clubhouse in the Holy Human Club. That's Holy Human, W-H-O-L-W-H-O-L-L-Y. Stace, Bree, Eric, myself, and others will be there. And when we get together, things are interesting. So I hope you can make it. The invite you can find in the show notes or just go to uh, the Clubhouse app and search for Eric Grace, E-R-I-C-G-R-A-C-E or the Holy Human Club, again, with a WH. If you can't make it and want to email questions for us to field, you can email me at joseph, J-O-S-E-F, at clearandopen.com. Thanks so much for listening. Greetings and welcome forward, everybody, to, I believe this is 56, if you've been listening 56. to this in order. Yeah, 56. Wow. Wow. Yeah, look how much we've had to say, and I don't think we're done anytime soon. No, I feel like we're just I getting warmed up, really. I, I would say uh, you you had envisioned maybe five hundred of these podcasts at some point. So who knows? Well, I know, I, I know some members of our audience that would cheer us on uh, indefinitely. So there's that. <laughs> Amen. Amen. So on the um, uh, agenda today is uh, you wanted to talk about the divine from the bottom up, connecting mm-hmm. the divine from human as human, and. Yes. Uh, where do you want to start with that? Well, we, last t- last podcast we talked about what would it take, you know, for the Earth to um, unify into a single focus that transcended conditioning, sectarianism, polarizations, um, races, creeds, uh, paradigms, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, we, we talked about you know aliens landing on the planet or a lesson like um, uh, returning to pre-70s uh, non-internet world, which would be like the Stone Age for so many, a couple of three generations here of humans on the planet right now. It wouldn't be for us boomers, uh, uh, so that much different, but uh, yeah. certainly we've come to rely on um, technology in a way that uh, no other previous de- um uh, generations have ever had to do. Yeah, such that so, we get anxiety, like if there's no internet, I, suddenly you don't know what to do with yourself. <laughs> that's yeah. uh, so evocative of the problem, isn't it? Uh, mm-hmm. When the power goes out or something. So yeah. at any rate, uh, uh, if, we, if we instead we say, well, if everyone had the same experience of, or, or a resonantly same experience of divine being all of a sudden, well, that would uh, suffice to give us a meta um, trans condition or meta conditioning, meta 
sectarianism, metapolarization dynamic. And uh, since that isn't going to happen soon, in identity's point of view, unless divine being shows up on Mount Sinai, uh, you know, looking like Moses or something, uh, which I don't think is going to happen because the mama god is in charge of things now, not the old papa god. So maybe it sh she shows up as not the Virgin Mary because there was no such thing as the Virgin Mary. So I don't know what in hell would, it would show up as. Well, anyway, and the divine being experienced that way would be entirely analogous to aliens visiting because yes. it would be an yes. alien intelligence right. that they would be experiencing. <laughs> so to speak. Yeah. So uh, that's that's sort of the, um, the starting off point here is uh, how do we... That would be the best of all, of course, uh, the best of all uh, development to change the world overnight. Mass revelation. Mass revelation, right. Well, you uh, know, I've, I've often um, mused at the the true Greek, uh, I believe it's Greek, yeah, the Greek etymology of apocalypse uh -huh, yes. is a great revealing. It's not yes. the end of the world, and um, it's uh, as a... Uh, uh, aptly titled Ajishanti has a wonderful book called The End of Your World. Yes, exactly. Uh, which I love. And I believe you've talked about that, use yes. that same phraseology. It's not, uh, yes. it's, it's the end of your world. And that's what right. an apocalypse is. So like, surprise, it's not what you thought. Right. And yeah, the apocalyptic end is the net result of the new revealing. Yeah. Right? Uh, and so hetero or hetero, sorry, heliocentrism uh, was apocalyptic to terracentrism uh, back in the day of Galileo, right? Yeah. Uh, so people focus uh, because we're all operating mostly conditioned through negative filters based in the fear of survival and the, or the fear of the lack of thrival uh, mm -hmm. in the West, for example. Uh, we tend to look at uh, things uh, with with dire filters because we're all unconsciously wounded, and those in unconscious filters always put us on the edge of anxiety and dread of the future and the unknown. And so here's a just I gotta insert this for some reason a, a trivial point I learned yesterday. I had no idea when George Orwell was trying to publish Animal Farm, he had a hell of a time getting it published. No one would would print it, and it came it came out. Uh, it wasn't until the 90s, 1990s, it was revealed that the reason it wasn't getting published was because the Minister of Information in the UK was actually a Russian agent. It's a true story. You believe that? Wow. Well, why, why would that impede uh, the well, publishing? Well, because Animal Farm was about the Soviet Union. Oh, that's was, right. It yeah. was an anti-propaganda thing. Yeah, and yeah, so exactly. just to be like, wow, that, that the fear of change in the human um, green, greenified heart is so deep, like yes. that that's the kind of lengths that it goes to just to prevent, you know, a, not even real change, but just the fear that it might change. Yes. Look at the church. The church literally killed people because they threatened the, you know, the idea of uh, heliocentrism. Like, well, the book doesn't say that. So, what what could it mean? We can't. We couldn't actually go back to the drawing board and revise our model a little bit. Uh, no. No. Isn't it funny, Joseph? The the whole idea of heresy is uh, is is such an artificial construct of fear. Mm. You know. Uh, yeah. that uh, there's no such thing as heresy in mature spirituality because reality will prove to us if we are willing to have it proved to us what yeah. the real story is or let's say it this way the realer story yeah. is 
It's the right. same thing like when they when there there's a when they make a plant illegal like this plant is illegal like <laughs> what? It's it's here. What do you mean? It's growing. <laughs> no, 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 no. Nobody can have that. Let's destroy it all. What? Now what they do with the plant is a whole other matter, but the plant yeah, itself sure. no, you can't have that. It's an aspect of God for God's sakes. Yes. Well, so is uh, arsenic. And so uh, this becomes an interesting question. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So good point there. Thank you for that. So in that sense, uh, I, I, I want to um, kind of come at uh, what how identity literally bakes our consciousnesses, one consciousness at a time, to be able to have an experience of that divine being that doesn't need an apocalyptic event to create it. And uh, so I'd like to you start with a couple of Im imperfect metaphors here. But uh, uh, in the same way that, you know, so many empiricists and um, atheists over the, and scientists now, uh, uh, prove to me there's a God, you know, oh. just prove to me. And uh, they, want, they want something proven that, um, as we said in other podcasts, simply can't fit into the mental body that uh, empiricists and atheists tend to um, uh, make their God is, is mentation, mentality, logic, scientific provability, uh, these kinds of things. It's just a different animal. Uh, spirit is uh, not capturable, as we said so many times, uh, by the mental body. So a good metaphor, it's a little uh, twisty, but um, uh, every day we're working on, well, let's put it this way. Every, everything we make as human beings has some fractal reflection of the structure, function, and um, motives of a divine being because we're all children uh, children or, or um, uh, a progeny of a divine being. So when we made computers, like, like what we're doing right now on Zoom, I'm looking at a, at a representation of your face. Um, and uh, that, that face is um, a human face. And if Zoom said, okay, prove a, a Zoomified moment like this one is, prove to me there's a God using the computer metaphor. Well, how is how am I seeing a, a representation of Josephusness? Uh, how am I seeing that? Well, there's uh, between me and him, there's hardware, there's software, there's firmware, and there's code, right? Mm -hmm. Now, with, uh, without the hardware and the code, firmware um, and software, and the illumination of the farthest downline thing, Joseph's and mine images on these screens, um, for us to say, okay, prove to me there's a God using um, a computer metaphor. Well, the source code, uh, we don't see, we don't experience the source code. Oh, you mean because, the source code that like the computers are running, that is yes, the context exactly. for the software. Okay, source code. Exactly, right. The uh, OS, the operating system code. The, the operating system is invisible to our everyday use of the technology. Oh, of right. We don't use the operating system in content, but it allows for every. That's a great metaphor. I love that. I have not heard you say that before. Yeah, it occurred to me uh, recently. And such, such that uh, when you say prove to me just by uh, staying with the image of humans on the screen, the most downline effect uh, of the source code, mm -hmm. the, the coding uh, for the software that's connected to the firmware and the hardware, 
we now, but but prove to me there's source code just by um, looking at uh, each other's face on Zoom. You content can. and context, yeah. You, yeah, that's right. See, you, you literally can't. So anytime someone says, "Come on, why? How could there be a God if it? Does, why wouldn't it reveal itself?" Well, it's revealing itself every day because what is is. Uh, right, but if the computer operating system is doing a good job. It's invisible. Absolutely what, right. What it does is allow for everything to work, and yes. it's you only notice it when it's not working. And the kernel exactly. panic thing, or Windows, the blue screen of death, <laughs> then your OS is not working. That exactly. could be a hardware thing too. Yeah. It's interesting how this came to me recently. Is that I, I found a wallpaper that is nothing in, in colorful, wonderful, colorful uh, display. The wallpaper is computer code. And I was sit, sat there looking at the wallpaper going, oh, that's infra meta. In other words, I'm looking on my wallpapers, the screen before there's any images, just the wallpaper. Uh, that is, a, I, I'm looking at a wallpaper that shows the source code uh, or representation of source code. Mm -hmm. And so, um, but in, in real, real life, uh, this is where the metaphor phrases at the edges a little bit, is you, to demand that we, uh, that for the source code to reveal itself, it's being revealed every moment in, 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 uh, in reality, in the human objective reality. And that's why I want to tie in objective and subjective reality today uh, for our, um, uh, our, our topic. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, to say, uh, what, reveal yourself source code. Uh, it's the wrong demand because you're already you already have the source code revealed um, uh, uh, tacitly by Joseph and my representations of our ones and zeros as our images on Zoom. Uh, we already have proof that there is source code going on, or else none of this downline stuff would be possible. Can you want to tie this into the matrix metaphor because that's the whole transformation of Neo is when he's able to see the code while inside the code in the matrix. He's able to see yes. the code of the matrix while being in it. That's why uh, the matrix, the first matrix, uh, was yeah. so um, paradigmatically uh, resonative in one way with several of the elements of identity, uh, even back when. The only, di the only real difference is that uh, uh, the, um, the matrix is supple and wonderful and has rare, has good steak tasting and... Uh, <laughs> and palpable uh, experiences, whereas the real world is bare and they're eating snot, basically, uh, on, on their ships, you know. Uh, it's the reverse here. We're, by, by definition, the afterlife or the life that is pre-exists human life and post-exists uh, human life is sumptuous as hell. And here, here we're, eating, we're eating the snot, you know. Uh, mm. So it's a reversal, but it has the same principle. So mm -hmm. in other words, uh, Neil was the one who had the capacity to see through the matrix. And so anyone who experiences divine being directly is a Neo uh, experiencing it through it's uh, the, um, the downline um, effects of the source code behind our experience. 
that doesn't mean we live identity would not say we live in a computer simulation right <laughs> you, see that, you see that out there quite a bit and i love the fact that they're thinking in that direction mm -hmm. but it's not a computer simulation of some alien race i uh, think elon musk has that point of view oh, oh elon musk he's an adult toddler my god well he's guy. he's projecting oh. his own that he's projecting oh. i mean if i may to the if you universe may. and to Elon. I yeah. what if I would say, Elon, what if you're projecting the the way in which you process reality only mentally yes. onto the world and think everyone's in the same you're creating a simulation, the fact but by virtue of only processing reality mentally. Uh, exactly. That's the simulation that mm -hmm. nobody gets. They people think that the mental body um, window to reality is the one verifiable objective basic truth yeah. <laughs> when, when it's so it's so ill-suited to a metaphysical metaphysical metapsychological realities um, that it's uh, it can't be defined through the mental body we, we can talk about it but the mental body will not reveal divinity it will not in fact it stands directly in the way just as the way you said it there and uh, so no, is the mental bodies then hardware in that metaphor could be well, software too firmware I, maybe i would say firmware is yeah. the closest Th these things they lose a little bit in translation yeah. we're kind of talking broad strokes here yeah. but it's downstream of the os so the firmware doesn't know anything about the os no. but the os <laughs> knows a lot about the firmware in, in the OS ways. informs the existence of the firmware, yeah. but the firmware can't look backward into itself and find the code. Nor can so, it require the source code to change. No. The, right. The, firm, <laughs> the firmware, the software can't be like, oh, and then you have to have a monitor that works in six dimensions. The, the source yeah. code be like, no, that you can't do that. Not negotiable. <laughs> So the point of this piece of the discussion, then, exactly as you're unfolding here, Joseph, is that that um, you have to lose your mind to find God. Uh, mm. That's not about being insane, uh, losing your mind. Though it, it can feel like it sometimes. It can certainly <laughs> feel like it. But, but when we say lose our mind, we don't mean going insane. We mean tabula rasa uh, of pre-dual uh, or non-dual and base enlightenment that has been taught er er tragically and erroneously for three or 4,000 years, starting in India, to be the, ex the revealer that there is no God and there is no self, uh, the tabula rasa of uh, non-duality. Uh, whereas identity says, whoa, bo bozos, wait. Um, uh, that it's the other way around. You come in at the other direction and, and the non-dual enlightenment allows you to remove the impediment of the mental body, giving room for source code to be able to be experienced, not through the mental body, but through technically the fourth chakra, uh, which we'll get into maybe here near the end of this, uh, um, this uh, podcast. So in that sense, anyone, any any scientist, empiricist, or atheist says, uh, show me God. Well, um, you got to lose your mind first. And of course, since Descartes, uh, the mind defines us. So losing our attachment and identification to our mi mind-mediated human existence is what uh, the Buddha offered 
2,400 years ago without knowing what he was actually at that time offering, mm -hmm. the significance of it. Identity, in retrospect, um, uh, um, uh, honors uh, the, uh, his his attainment, but utilizes it for the entire an entirely different destination uh, than its followers uh, in both Hinduism and Buddhism believe. And for those of you who are familiar or educated um, with uh, the um, the field of philosophy um, and didn't immediately grok this, that means the entire field of philosophy is basically mental masturbation um, yes. as it pertains to uh, theology and uh, the metaphysics of God. It's really, really sad because these are smart, passionate people. And yeah. every once in a while, I think of like, you know, I never read the critique of pure reason. Maybe I'll pick that up. And then I like I feel into it for a moment and just realize I don't think I could get through 10 pages of it or, or any of those great philosophical works because they're just all inside the mind. And it's yes. just a trap. It's going to get nowhere. I mean, I love the the uh, the uh, etymology, you know, philosophy, right? Mm -hmm. You know, love of knowledge. Um, mm -hmm. We we bootstrapped our way as um, uh, 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 when we broke off from the ape line. Uh, we boots we've been bootstrapping our way to surviving and then trying to thrive. But the mental body mediated uh, human is um, becoming rapidly obsolete uh, because it's it's topping out, and that's why the world is so crazy because there's no solutions findable in mind or philosophy for what's um uh, uh what for what's beleaguing or beleaguering uh, the earth uh, so in that sense the greatest minds in the world uh, cannot solve anything uh through the mind it's like so the greatest guess, nets in the the most finely carefully uh, manufactured nets in the world still have not been able to pick up water no, <laughs> but they've been working at it for thousands of years. And you can you you can go to Occam's Razor on this one. Uh, you could be infinite. You could be approaching infinity, and not Occam's Razor. The other one, Zeno's paradox. Oh yeah, you know, getting closer and closer to the finer and finer, smaller kinds of um, yes. We need a bigger spider. particle accelerator. Then we will find God. That's what's about. We got to get smaller and smaller. No, no, no. It's the other direction, folks. It's bigger. You got to go bigger. What? You mean yeah. we can't understand everything by breaking it down into smaller and smaller parts? Yeah, how well is that working on your marriage, Mr. Scientist? <laughs> like, come on. Exactly. Even in even in pure science, uh, let's let's define let's understand a tree by going more and more micro down to the atomic level. What you don't now you're in the quantum uh, a fog of a tree, and that's going to tell you what a tree is. Yeah, I mean, it's just reduction. Philosophy is reductionistic because mental body activity is reductionistic. Oh, I thought you were going to say it's uh, reductio ad absurdum, which is oh, really even worse, yeah. even worse. Yeah, reductio ad absurdum, uh, because you, you just keep going. The, the the however fine you go with a net, it still can't pick up water. It will hold a, yeah. a more a, a little water for a little while until it seeps out, but. It's not going to be able to capture the well, flavor yeah. and experience. Yeah, I just think about like um, when you see like a nine-month-old or a year-old um, kid see like a cat or a dog for the first time, and they just become like yeah. amazement, like that's seeing <laughs> the tree or the cat. That's what it is. They're seeing that's that. What it is. And as soon as they learn to put words around it, they're no longer seeing it pretty much.
And just as a caveat, we, 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 what Joseph is saying here is completely resonant with identity, of course, um, but this is not a case of pre-trans equality. Right, um, yes. And that's real, always important to come bring into the conversation so we can be really exact in what we're offering here. The mental body is absolutely imperative to framework something that's bigger than itself. But to actually experience the thing that's bigger than the mental body, you have to lose the mental body to experience it. Mm-hmm. And so if we all could experience God, we it's not we're not I'm not saying we would all experience God identically, but we would experience God identically in some sort of context that would open our hearts and the, and the heart our hearts of soul enough to see each other directly as common progeny of that divinity. Mm. And so, uh, in the very least, a a Catholic might see um, um, uh, of the Virgin Mary, which never existed. That's all um, just pathos from the, uh, the Catholic Church. Uh, but or, or or might see a naiad a naiad uh, new ager might see a, a naiad mermaid uh, 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 as divine yin but whatever form it would be filtered through our narrow consciousnesses uh, uh, the experience of divine being would immediately galvanize a, an uh, an uh, 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 a continue a contiguous or a contiguosity of human consciousness that transcended um, race religions cultures conditioning uh and that pronouns (laughs) pronouns oh my god i mean there's a we're amused by this that's not out of superiority um it's just simply about its time to get out from under the mental body illusion. Uh, the, well, uh, yeah, I want to speak to that. It's it's sort of like, um, I think a, a lot of what we laugh about um, when we talk, and not just on the podcast, but it's just we're sharing the uh, injection of meta onto topics where there's usually a deficit of it. So yes. it's not that it isn't important that uh, a, a person has the ability to choose what pronouns they're used and ask people to respect that and all that. All that's important. It's just it's painfully claustrophobic when there isn't meta around that. And yes. it builds a pressure up that people feel. And that's why so many people are fed up with the whole pronoun thing, because they intuitively get that there's something tight and unrelaxed and not not right about it. And it's um, that not rightness is that it's that lack of meta. And then you're right, exactly. And then the mental body of different conditioned minds around the world will will have a pro or a con relationship to that um, yeah. to the content of the pronoun issue. Yeah. And so uh, it all becomes just an unsolvable mess without meta. Mm-hmm. Uh, human life without meta is um, robotic and uh, uh, Pavlovian. Uh, relative to our conditioning and our unconscious motives that drive our conscious intentions, actions, and outcomes in life. So how do we get an experience of God? First and foremost, um, we have to be willing to lose our mind as the arbiter of reality. I love how I think, therefore I am, fits empiricism and non-dualism. <laughs> I never thought about that. 
<laughs> can, can you, you're laughing, so you get what I mean. Yeah, yeah. But, uh, what, it's like, what did the, what did, uh, it's like, imagine Descartes talking to a Zen master and yes. like how long they could go before they realized they were saying the same thing, but having a completely different perspective yeah. on it. The Using Zen master would be like, yeah, that's word. the problem. You think yes. you're thinking because you are. You think you, are, you are because you're because thinking. thinking. Yeah. Right. Uh, I think it's, 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 it would be ironic to the Buddhist or the enlightened Hinduist. Uh, uh, I think, therefore, I am. Yeah, like like Joseph just said, that's the problem. Whereas Descartes would be affirming it as an absolute truth or as an, a universal truth, at I, least. I think so. it was uh, um, Ramana Maharshi. I think was the one who said, "The thinker is the thought." Yes, right, exactly. And that's what could be said to Descartes' line. Yes, right. But but what's what drives me out of my mind, both tragically and comically, is that. Uh, not realizing that difference using the same phraseology mm -hmm. makes uh, non-dualism and empiricism uh, best friend BFFs in this generation <laughs> co-signing each other's atheism. Uh-huh, right, yeah, because identity is a space in which both of those truths can be honored. Exactly, uh, but in, without that meta, meta, meta space that identity offers, um, they're best friends forever because they think I, I think they're for I'm even though they have completely different contexts for that same phraseology mm -hmm. they, they're co-signing each other's uh, atheism uh, mm -hmm. so that and that's why the dancing wooly masters which mm -hmm. describe quantum quantum uh, uh, dynamics uh, coming out in the late 60s and 70s mm -hmm. uh, where all of a sudden ancient Buddhism is co-signing atheistic science in some way. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, all of a sudden that, oh, well, that's, look at that. Um, that must be true then. Buddhism must be true if scientific materialism agrees with its central premise of consciousness. Because bo in both cases, empiricism says the self is created by the mind. And... Uh, Buddhism would say the self is created by the mind, mm -hmm. uh, and, but one, one uh, but, but in the end, since when the mind dies, the self dies. Buddhism would say when the mind dies, the self dies. Mm -hmm. uh, so here's where they're hugging, they're hugging it out, but at such a shallow level of of camaraderie mm -hmm. uh, it's only verbal it's like it's like nlp is worst uh, worst worst application the mm -hmm. same words and uh describing utterly the same realities but from different points opposite points of view so it's yeah well and it, it fits also because of course since zen got popular in the united states in the 60s and 70s the vast majority of people are their meditation is thinking about not thinking for the most yeah. part. That's <laughs> sure. they're thinking about not thinking and having no, I, I was just, I just saw, I, 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 I feel a little, uh, uh, it was a little bit of a guilty pleasure for me. I was watching the second season of uh, Beavis and Butthead, the new Beavis and Butthead, because oh. that's from my generation. And so how could I not watch it? And um, they're spoofing a uh, meditation class in the beginning of one of the episodes. And like the third thing the guided meditator, the guide of, of the meditation said was clear your mind of all thoughts. And I'm like, God, fuck's sake. This is how the idea of meditation being about not thinking gets into the collective conscious that way. Yeah, I saw it on Beavis and Butthead. It must be true. You know, oh, meditation's about not thinking. Oh, great. So I'm going to sit here for hours and hours and hours and try to stop myself from thinking. 
And then you create these intellectual Buddhists, which is what most people are, and they pat yes. themselves on the back for trying to live according to these quantum realities. And, and by the way, how is it we're supposed to live according to the dynamics that happen on infinitesimal levels? Like, how does that apply? Because <laughs> like, well, when I throw a egg at the wall, it doesn't behave in quantum ways <laughs> whatsoever. <laughs> No, but but the, there is some metaphoric uh, sure. linkages there. You know, yeah. I mean, uh, you could also use the metaphor that we started out with today uh, that the uh, quantum quantum fog or the quantum field is is uh, firmware butting up against the codes, the coding. Yeah, uh, I like that. Yeah. So so in that sense, it's not in unviable. But the mathematical um, predictions that can't be made with quantum realities, uh, superpositions, uh, you yeah. can't until you measure it, you can't see what, whether it's a particle or a, uh, a bolt of energy, or whatever. It's just one of those versions. Uh, they're inapplicable to um, uh, uh, what we're trying to decide is moral action or action that is positive for the individual and the group at the same time mm -hmm. which is morality can't it has no relationship to quantum fog so just as you're saying here so it's a separate reality they create a a, a mathematical equation reality which is not wrong but not applicable in the least to how your uh, relationship uh, is uh, uh, 85 or 86 and a half percent codependent. And this, so, is, this is the dead ending of the um, the fact that uh, philosophy and math uh, all came out of the same thing, you know. That, yeah. And so they're yeah. dead ending like, hmm, we, you, I don't, I, I'd have to brush up on why and how that was, how philosophy, I mean, it was all about understanding. It was all for, in natural science. It was like earth science kind of stuff. And mm -hmm. philosophy and math um, and physics all were kind of one thing. They were not um, because it was the philosophy of the natural world. And then sure. it got more and more abstracted into trying to explain things that were non-scientific, but still using scientific methodologies. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. we're going to understand the why the day is as long as it is the same way we understand morality. We're going to use the yes. same tools that like, oh, boy, good luck with that. Yeah, it uh, the only um, the only meta in philosophy is when someone does an overview and categorizes different kinds of philosophy. <laughs> but there's that's an intra meta, you see. Uh, that was the crowd. We could say that again. The only meta in philosophy is when someone right. categorizes all the different philosophies, like subjective right. versus subjectivism correct, versus correct. objectivism. Yeah. Kantian yeah. versus uh, um, what's his game with the uh, Schopenhauerism? You know? Schopenhauer, Hegel versus yeah. Kant. Yeah, that's uh, the only meta. Same with anthropology. Yeah, it's all yes. content based. But when they compare culture to culture, there's a little bit of meta there. Yeah, right. But the, all that's contained within the mental focus. You see. Yeah. So everything we're saying here, we're not saying the mental body is something to cast off. We're saying to quit living by it. It's like um, uh, 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 living in a closed false reality or virtual reality. It's a the mental body creates a virtual reality. And that's yeah. why com the computer AI and the whole uh, 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 AI mediated, uh, either it's alternate reality or um, augmented um, reality and virtual augmented reality. Augmented or virtual reality, right? 
this that's just a downline expression of what the mental body does every single day. Yeah. There's a whole other world, and this is where the kind of exuberance uh, that I experience every single day in experiencing divine being. This this is not this this can be duplicated in anyone who's in a in a lifetime ready to be uh, able to um, uh, aim for it. Uh, we found we've decoded the way in identity how to do that. So in that sense, uh, when we start with this assumption, how can we all experience the, the fact that there is a divine being? The bottom line is uh, you got to lose the mental body. Well, now, let me let me stick something in here because it's just striking me in some bigger way. Like it's so apparent that as a species, we're all dead ending the limits of mind. Ninety nine point nine percent of people. But at the yeah. same time, how compelling is it that there's this passion to find God, to know God, even if it's at the belief level or whatever, and that it's in all the societal bromides, the importance of heart and coming from the heart and care and kindness. And so they're all trying to do God and heart inside of mind. Yes. And failing miserably. It, it's it's doomed to failure because uh, it's reductionistic, uh, mm -hmm. ob, ob, observed, ob, absurda. Oh, however, the Latin you used that was beautiful. So uh, yeah, you're they're using they're they're subserving or they're making that which is meta to mind subservient to mind, and this is a claustrophobic global disease uh, that we're trying to find everything through mind reductionism of mind when we've got to be looking outside the mind. And the Buddha, the Buddha and partly uh, in the tradition of Krishna, too, in, in, in Hinduism, uh, gave us a means to lose the mind, but uh, with the opposite uh, uh, end game, uh, that there is no God and there is no self. Uh, mm -hmm. So um, we utilize the technology, if we can say it that way, of, uh, of the Buddha, who's got the cleanest form, in, in my opinion, um, uh, at the, of the times. Uh, uh, to um, to create the opposite destination that it can it has the power to reveal divine being, you not know, not its uh, illusion. What's also fascinating that hits me in this moment is that that you using the dead ending use the use of the mind to find things that the mind can't find is right. actually what good meditation and inquiry does. Yes, it's because yeah. it's a dead ending process. And that's that's the whole point. You're supposed to hit the dead end limits of the mental body watching itself. Mm -hmm. See, so it's about the emperor starts with clothes, and then then you midway through you lose all the clothes, and then at the completion you lose the body uh, of the mental. <laughs> body. You see, so if someone once asked me in in satsang, what what uh, how can the mental body uh, create its own demise? And I said, well, there is a way, um, but uh, there's limits to it. In other words, you could say the mental body keeps watching itself until it realizes its own limitations. Uh, and that's the de that's the, the closed uh, um, uh, uh, sphere of Buddhism, that the mental body alone accounts for the ability to watch it, see or experience its dead end. According to Zen, they would say that. According right? to but Zen, we would say but, something different. 
we, we would say the ability for the mental body in, in a meta way to see its own limitations comes from a different domain of consciousness, which is the soul. Uh, yeah, the software so, can't uninstall itself without an OS <laughs> allowing it to happen. Yeah. Right. <laughs> you can't uninstall, and that's a beautiful way to describe enlightenment. When you uninstall uh, the operating system, that requires a different code upstream of the operating system, right? Uh, uninstall the software. You said operating system. Uninstall the software. Device. Sorry. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Yeah, that's better, right? So you can't un uninstall the software. If something must persist. There must be something before the program was installed and after the program is installed. Right. It can't just be, no, there never was a computer. The whole thing was an illusion. Yeah. Well, technically, that's the end game of Buddhism. Yeah. And it's also the obsolete end of Hinduism and Buddhism based in pre-dual or non-duality as uh, ultim ultimacy, right? Mm. Um, and so not only our cultural, the, the, not only our religions fraying, compensating with extra digging in of heels and returning to the faith of our fathers and uh, 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 in, react, in reactionaries, right-wing reactionary religions, uh, on, and in terms of Eastern esotericism, they should be panicking also. Um, but there's nothing to panic uh, because when they think they have the absolute truth that non-duality is the essence of being uh, or impersonalness in Hinduism, uh, Advaita goes uh, gives a little bit of substantiveness, substantiveness until one day you see it really is nothing, nothingness um, mm -hmm. as it persists. At any rate, uh, uh, Eastern uh, re uh, religions uh, and spiritualities should be as panicked as uh, religions, uh, uh, Western religions, because it's the end of both, uh, uh, because both are based on belief. In, well, religions are based on belief, which, as we've said so many times, belief is not, is not a heart thing. It's not a soul thing. It's a mind thing. Yeah. Uh, it's a picture that you have been conditioned to have, and you, you have to believe in it which is why we say so often, if we have to lose the mental body, if we go one step a little more fine, you have to lose um, the ability uh, uh, to shrink reality because that's and, what the mind does. And there's another good example of what we were talking about before. In order to have faith, which is a feeling for people, you have to right. have a belief first, and that's in the yes. mind. And exactly. even if you didn't you know, concoct that belief as an adult, that belief was put into you uh, mentally as a child. It was conditioned into you. And then so that abiding feeling, that the feeling of that their people are abiding with God, which is what they want, is actually largely fabricated by the mind. Yes. It's, uh, and that's why we say uh, belief. How are we going to break that to 4 billion people? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we actually, on, on, if you add the fringes, it's about five and a half billion out yeah. of eight and a half billion. So, yeah. but either way, the numbers don't matter. You, you, they're they're set for this lifetime. Most of ninety nine percent of yeah. them. So we're looking for those who are looking for answers not outside the box, but outside the box of the box uh, where identity comes at. But identity's meta meta. It's not outside the box, inside the box of our conditioning. It's outside the box of outside the box of our conditioning. And to get there, you have to lose your mind. You just have to lose your mind. Um, mm -hmm. So in that sense, you have to lose your, in the religious sense, you have to lose your beliefs 
And in Eastern esotericism, they have to lose their absolutism of their truths, which is a mental body thing too. I say the will gets kicked in there with absolutism, right? Mm. So in that sense, uh, absolutism is saying my belief, my reality is Un, not is non-negotiable meaning i am in the i am in the possession of ultimate truth absolute truth and of course as we say so many times from the other way metaphysically but from the human way absolute truth is impossible for any human being no matter how iq'd you are eq'd you are you got to get sq'd off the charts to ever um, finally uh, arrive at uh, outside the box of outside the box so and, you know, again, even just I would, even just a moment of really being significantly in one's own heart reveals that truth. I, I just I, I don't know how to describe it. I had a moment um, just a few hours ago between meetings and I just was I just had a, a really good session with someone was just felt very much in my heart. And I just I don't know how to describe it. I felt I felt the mystery of existence in my heart. Mm -hmm. And it was like, it was beautiful and somehow comforting, but also hugely unknown. And it mm -hmm. was like, it just hits me like, how could you possibly think you could absolutely know anything after yes. having that kind of experience? Yes. Uh, and as to quote a, a, a semi-notable uh, non-dual teacher from Europe, uh, the teacher is always right and the student is always oh, wrong. God. Uh, so uh, and that, and there is the most beautiful example of absolutism. Uh, uh, but as, if you're a non-dual teacher, enlightened, you're enlightened. Your enlightenment is the end of all um, knowledge uh, as identity. Uh, you have you have no how how any enlightened master can attach and identify to the absolute truth that non-duality is the essence of being. No negotiation without getting the meta attachment and the meta identification with that absolute truth. Uh, you can't be enlightened and have absolute truth in identity's world, but mm -hmm. in Buddhism's uh, world and Hinduism's world, absolute truth, that doesn't bother them in the least. Well, it's uh, the same way they make a duality out of non-duality versus duality, which is like, yes. huh, what? But then an NLP uh, wise kind of uh, enlightened person could say, well, that's only at the level of language, not the level of essence, uh, yeah. what you just said. But that's still playing the game. It's still saying I am in possession of the, of the absolute truth that non-duality is the essence of everything. Sine qua non, QED, game over. Um, <laughs> let's pop uh, the keg, you know. Uh, so... Uh, in that sense, e even those who are enlightened are still stuck to the degree they have no negotiability as to their point of view, however compelling it was for their state of soulful evolution this lifetime. We, as we say, anyone who enlightens and uh, tabula rasa, the real, the real non non dual based kind of enlightenment, not the squishy touchy-feely allness uh, stuff uh, and, uh, and universal stuff. Uh, anyone who touches that and then um, uh, 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 attaches to it as absolute is just a spiritual teenager, as we said in other dynamics. And that's reasonable for their soul arc. 
but teenagers think they know everything because they've got a little bit of knowledge. And I'm not saying that the arcane uh, uh, um, amazingness of having a not experience of the not, uh, it's, it's unbelievable. It changes your world forever. But to then secondarily overgrip it keeps you earthbound. Well, anti-earthbound, you get a, your absolute absolutism of these non-dual gurus uh, is a false first chakra. It's a wound-based first chakra orientation. Uh, so you, you can't live without first chakra. None of us could if there was none. But we float off them or acquire wound-based or distortion-based bandwidths of first chakra. You'd have to be, have wound-based first chakra to ever have a belief that there's such a thing as human absolutism. Mm -hmm. uh, you really must be horribly infected in the first chakra to ever think that such a thing is capable. So what you said about you had a wispy but definitive and significant and meaningful experience of the mystery of existence. Yeah, that's that's the domain that is outside of mind, uh, mm -hmm. and, and and all identity does very simply is say. That feeling domain, that experiential domain is upstream of all mental and willful and physical um, uh, um, uh, uh, bandwidths of consciousness. And we've not yet had a way to actually in really direct, not linear, but in, in spirally kinds of ways to um, create access to that world and never get caught anywhere midway or three quarters of the way into absolutism and that's the magic of identity um so in that sense um there's i'd like to go to the next level here um okay so is it only about losing your mind no um that's central to it but it's only one of three ways uh three dharmic paths that identity offers will accord someone the verifiable a mystery of existence-based access to divine being. Um, that is, we have to, in, in, in the shorthand, authenticate, then we have to originate, and then we have to provenate. Uh, authenticate means you can't get to the most authentic uh, being there is, divine being, with driving an inauthentic vehicle uh, of consciousness. And we are all conditioned driving an inauthentic version of our personal being because of unhealed wounds and uh, our protect inside of our protector version of consciousness, two thirds of which is unconscious to us. I, I once was staring at the ceiling and heard a voice say, um, there is nothing that's not me. And when there is nothing that's not you, you'll know that. Um, nice. There is, there is the, the, affirmation of the mystery of existence there is nothing that's not me you can't subtract you from any experience it's impossible mm -hmm. buddhism and enlightenment notwithstanding you just replace your smaller you with a non-dual based you uh, <laughs> it's it's you can't ever get outside of it because uh, you can't get set outside of divine being um, so authentication is is the basis of um, uh, um, emotive authentication that happens in the personhood dharma of identity. 
the origination uh, base to originate is to um, return to our birth of soul, birth of consciousness that happens in pre-dual version of non-dual uh, um, uh, um, uh, mental body and soulment in um, in identity, and to provenate, uh, which I have to make up a, a, a verb out of a provenation out of a process noun. Mm -hmm. Provenation is how do we provenate our way to our providence? In other words, uh, our, our, our origin of soul is met through origination through pre-dual access. That's our own individual soul. But provenation pre-existed the existence of our soul. So you can't just find um, divine being by getting enlightened uh, because the divine being is upstream of our soul birth. Mm -hmm. and, and all uh, pre-dual based ident identity uh, enlightenment in the old term gives you is the um, origination, pre-dual uh, uh, origination that moments before your soul was born, still clinging to your soul roots and able to be not experienced. Why, so, and that's, why don't ahead. more people who enlighten end up experiencing the divine in the proven, provenative way? Uh, great, great question. I I think twenty to thirty percent do, but absolutely have no oxygen space mm -hmm. to bring that experience to their guru master, um, because they're all right. There, I haven't heard of one guru who includes definitive. Uh, none of it's based on uh, we feel, therefore we are. Nothing mm -hmm. that's out there. Um, no, there's no dharmas that are based on that on that yet. We're the, but we we got a, a one been forty years in the in the baking. Well, and some of, they try to include it. I think the problem is they just don't have a paradigm that can actually make sense of that. Like Ajashanti talks right. about the divine. Adi Da did as well, I believe. Yes, yeah, um, he did. Ramana um, would occasionally use Mahatma, you know, uh -huh. uh, the Mahatma. So I think a lot of them do. But you're exactly right. There's no not box inside of non-dual based Buddhism or Hinduism where they can put that without actually betraying the yeah. metaphysics of their own they paradigm. Could, they could never be very specific. Otherwise, it would just create total confusion in their followers. But like, wait a minute, I thought that the ground of being was it. Right. And you're saying something else happens? It's like, well, yes, and you may have experiences. I mean, I've heard Aji talk about it a little bit, and he doesn't get very specific. Certainly no. does not get paradigmatic. No, no, and that's that's the whole point. Is uh, when you have uh, when when you have a Eastern esoteric teaching that um, uh, says it is not a paradigm. Well, then you've got a big problem, yeah. And yet, and the purists hold that it's not a paradigm. It's yeah. not limited. It frees you from all paradigms. Well, that's the paradigm that frees you from all really denser paradigms, but it's still a paradigm. It's a paradigm of no paradigm, right? There's no, you can't get outside of paradigms, uh, identity mm -hmm. would argue. Uh, so the philosophy uh, might be all, have already de dead ended. But oh, there's a. I just, Go yeah, ahead. I didn't connect it in this way. If it's, if, if it's not a paradigm, you know, in Zen or a, a Zen with some sainthood blended, blended into it like Adya does, if they hold it as not a paradigm, then not thinking metaphysically is good. Then yes. you're a good little student. Then you should yes. be. You're doing it right. 
you'll get rewarded. You'll get a smile or you'll have sex with your guru. Uh, you, yeah, you then you're be, just dwelling in the mystery of it. You don't need to understand it because, you know, right. the mind is just the impediment to spirituality. Right. But there there you're in a beyond the mental body paradigm based paradigm. Uh, it's like you just said, I can't get outside of meanness. Uh, 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 and, and even when we die in, in divine and as, as, as I remember, like most people remember high school, uh, we have mental bodies after inside our soul, but they are so downstream secondary. Uh, to our heart identity in the four, uh, represented by what we call the fourth chakra. So in that sense, um, losing the mind to find God is necessary, but not sufficient. Um, you need authentication dharma that sees the personal not as an impediment to spiritual access. The person personhood is wholesale the impediment in Eastern esotericism, retail impediment in in religions uh it, the personal self is the enemy has been sold to us as the enemy identities personhood dharma sees personhood as the gate and the doorway to spirituality not the impediment so in that sense authentication dharma you reacquire the authenticity of your soulful being lost in childhood because of our horrifically distorted parenting paradigms on this planet we lose our mental body through the um, origination dharma of sagehood and provenation dharma, which is the sainthood track, allows us to explore that which predated and pre-existed even our origin of soul. So now we can secondarily as souls learn what it means to uh, provenate with our, um, our, our original source code uh, uh, being which is divine being right hmm. so from that sense it had uh there's uh there's three to be not that are necessary to be uh, sufficient to start to get a taste from the ground up of divine being so in that sense um uh we could say that uh divine being or um identity would say that um the difference between religionism and spirituality can really be succinctly described uh, religious uh, in two ways. Um, religions generally teach that there's a soul of our being that begins with human birth, but lives on after human death. Mm. While real spirituality of all kinds offers how the soul both reincarnatively pre-exists human birth and post exists human death as it learns spirit-based lessons of human life and of course uh, religionism as we said mandates that all of its truths must are non-negotiable that we must believe in them as absolute and have to do all these necessary rites and rituals or utilize faith and or good works while we're still alive to <laughs> thereby avoid an eternity of unrelenting hellfire um, but real spirituality and there's very few of it out there. Identity is one of them, and the only, the premier one in this decoding ability of metaphysics uh, offers its, its, its truths as universal truths to explore its at the universal truths application to your human life this lifetime. You might not be in a position in this lifetime to um, act, have actionable structural evolution to a certain universal truth 
But that doesn't mean the universal truth doesn't exist. In the same way, just because we can't see the source code on a computer doesn't mean it doesn't exist. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, uh, there's no absolutism in any authentic-based uh, spirituality. So in that sense, uh, spiritual spirituality includes religion, but religion doesn't include spirituality necessarily. Mm. Uh, and, and that the that's old really rhombus and square. Oh, exactly right. Uh, um, but of course, in the in the modern day, being spiritual has evolved to being just about anything uh, you want it to be. Uh, uh, having uh, uh, three orgasms uh, uh, for a woman might be called spiritual in tantra, but uh, it's uh, certainly um, not what we would call necessary. Uh, uh, it might be a, a necessary toward a one day getting beyond the mind, which orgasm is, interestingly enough, um, but it's certainly not sufficient to create access to divine being. But I, I actually heard... Oh, yeah, I know this story. Go ahead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that, that orgasm, it was from a Tantra uh, a person uh, that... Uh, uh, what do we You're, all say? Hold on, you were about to hear the a artifact of the <laughs> metaphysics of Tantraism. Go on. Uh, uh, orgasm is the access to the divine because all of us transculturally all say, oh God, oh God, oh God, uh, in having um, uh, orgasm. And so that is their NLP-based proof that they access the uh, divinity through orgasm. Yeah, by that same logic, if you like, you know, drop something heavy on your foot and, and scream Jesus Christ, then uh, <laughs> yeah, that's also a divine moment for you. <laughs> <laughs> exactly right. So in, in all these ways, um, what, what identity simply wants to um, have its um, uh, a truth um, tested is that the experience of divine being would change everything. And that requires, though, on a global basis, in the same way the mental body has to be um, rebooted uh, to tabula rasa temporarily, your personal vehicle of self has to be transmuted from your inauthentic version to your emotively authentic version. And you've got to solve some uh, terrors associated with sharing your personal holon will with the holoarchal will of divine being and promination work. Um, so in that sense, uh, there is a way, I, I, someone could once said uh, back way back when in the day, well, God, you've created a technology for um, uh, 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 that which is beyond enlightenment. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, I just I bristle a little bit at the uh, uh, the, the the word technology, but oh, yeah. um, it's it's meta technology for sure. Uh, but in that sense, that's exactly what identity is offering, and that's a big claim. That's a big sure. claim. And so, how do we, how can we possibly justify that? You know, something that hit me this morning when I was noticing who I woke up as after processing <laughs> what I processed last night, which was not easy, yeah. um, though most days I'm waking up and trying to just uh, determine who I'm waking up as. It was I was really reflecting this morning how with all of identity's rigorous, um, carefully constructed or um, uh, divined uh, metaphysics, uh, how much mystery is still in it, 
you know? Oh, goodness. Yeah. And that's what I think part of what I was feeling this morning. It's like, wow, there's oh, all this process and there is technology right. and there's techniques and methods and protocols. Right. And at the right. same time, it's wide open, total mystery. And that those two things go together is, I mean, the, the mind can't put those two things together. They don't go inside the mind. Only in the, only in the realm of the divine could those two things coexist. I love that you bring that particular um, filter uh, or point of view uh, in here because absolutism toward any, no matter how rigorous and clean a dharma path may be, uh, any absolutism will, will completely kill the mystery. Mm -hmm. So all you need to do to include mystery inside a really incisive and rigorous and protocolic protocolic without being proto uh coholic uh, <laughs> that's a is, pretty uh, fine distinction because you can say proto-alcoholic that doesn't quite yes, work yes <laughs> not quite so i had to combine there yeah uh, to make protocol not proto-alcoholic uh <laughs> you, you 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 can have no absolutism anywhere you can only have the self-verifying experience of the rigor of the dharma and mm -hmm. then that then it's imprinted in your heart of soul and you don't need any beliefs you don't need any absolutism and so as soon as you drop absolutism out of the whole system mystery backlights all that rigorous stuff in both sagehood a uh, personhood sagehood and sainthood and identity and why it's so vital because it never loses the mystery of existence if you if, if okay i'm the inceptor I don't, I know nothing absolutely. I'm mm -hmm. just this guy who, for whatever reason, found a way to solve all the limitations of philosophy, all the religion, limitations of religion, all the limitations of empiricism, and all the limitations of, of even modern uh, uh, Western and Eastern spirituality. And I don't have a clue about what's really true, not mm -hmm. what's really real. Yeah. My truths tend to be borne out as being resonant with real. Identity's truths tend to be borne out as resonant with real. And that's as much as we can say. And they have real effects. And, and it's, it's very difficult to describe how that is for people because that's not a state of consciousness that is embodiable until you've done some really significant work in this paradigm. To be, right. I, I'm remembering when um, in an intern class years and years ago where you were describing, you were working with someone and then I, afterwards you were describing what you were doing and what it was like to be you in that moment to template what facilitation was, uh, what we now call in soul mentoring, which is still a mouthful for me. Yes, <laughs> but, yeah. but I'll never forget it because at one moment you said, you know, okay, X, and then I heard this, and then I was in a complete and total panic because I didn't know what to do. I remember vividly you saying that. And then I just blanked out and then I got this and then I used my third eye to get this and what went on. And I, I always took that with me because when I work with people, not an hour goes by, not 15 minutes, maybe not even five minutes goes by where there isn't a total panic of like, holy shit, what the hell is going on? There's And, and how to have that and also a set of well-tested universal truths and methods Mm -hmm. at the same time well only the soul can do that yes only and the soul that's right that's right and, and and when we say universal let's let's unpack that unpack that just a little bit joseph um 
these truths the identity offers for self-verification are universally applicable to all forms of the human condition. Mm -hmm. Just because that's true, though, doesn't mean all forms of the human condition, depending on the conditioning of the human conditioning, is, is a person in a lifetime to have those universally applicable truths come home to roost in their heart. They may not, they may not be able to. And so that's why we, when we say universal, we don't mean everyone on the planet could do identity. That's really important. Uh, yeah. Only souls that have dead ended in three major categories of personhood, sagehood, and sainthood, and some mix of the three are going to be able to actually discover the universal applicability of the endpoints uh, of the denouements of the rigorous protocols in all three of those hoods, personhood, sagehood, and sainthood mm -hmm. in identity. So, so there's no way to get to say that identity is the identity is based in universally applicable uh, dy dy dynamical bandwidths of consciousness, but those are not available to um, the largest proportion of human consciousness at this time. So as we say so often, we're just offering something for the future. Somebody once told me, uh, well, it's like you came from the future, Stace, and are still teaching those of us stuck in the past what's what. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, th I thought that was a really interesting metaphor because I never felt like I was from the future. I felt what was coming through me was for the future, mm -hmm. but that I wasn't. You yeah. see, and that's the other reason why I'm incapable of egotism uh, these days anyway, is, uh, is that I, there's always a mystery. There's no absolutes, including my own uh, consciousness. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I can get down and dirty uh, uh, and get a lot of street uh, into um, groundedness in my spiritual voyaging. But uh, I, I'm learning this paradigm teaches me every day a cleaner version of itself without uh, veering from the central premises. This is what's so amazing to me, how it keeps unfolding deeper yeah. and deeper dimensions of divinity, of personhood, and of pre-dual interest in related kinds of topics. It keeps deepening all of them on its own the, after you hit a certain point where you lose all your high-centerednesses, and all of a sudden it's all downhill, and you, all you have to do is open the wet hole in your face called the mouth and out comes astonishing things uh, because the mental body's not solved. You've been ensouled enough where the soul has moved from the, rela, the, the, the domain of soulfulness to the domain of humanness. Well, front, and then life, and life becomes your teacher more yes. and more and more. Exactly. And that's all out of our hands. All we can do is what we're offered to be able to put in our hands. And identity is something to just put in your hands and test to see if this lifetime it might impart some of these uh, things we're talking about to you. And there's a really stark contrast related to what we were saying before. The um, deconstructing the inauthentic and in-originated and unprovenated self... <laughs> Oh, I love that. <laughs> Deconstructing that so that life is your teacher versus yes. using the mind to try to figure out what the hell is going on. Really different. <laughs> oh, so, God. 
And this yeah. is why, and you know, in Zen, uh, you know, in the old Zen stories, that people would say, "Oh, so and so," you know, there would be written a little story. Uh, so and so was enlightened, and you know, such and such asked him what he gained, and the answer was absolutely nothing. You know, would be what they would say. Like, what what do you gain as an Eden, Edenist? And we could say beauty, bounty, and, and meaning. We could frame it that way. Mm-hmm. But right. to me, what I think the greatest gift is, um, in my experience, is the ability to actually find my way through life on life's terms more and more rather than having to repeatedly dead end my own diluted terms. Um, yeah. The edda, the end of dead ends. Huh? Yes. That's, that's yeah. when life starts to teach you. And that's what identity will eventually put you on, uh, put, put you into that zone. If uh, as lo- uh, the end of dead ends, uh, if you're able and willing to um, go through some major deconstructing of uh, your whole life from inside out. But I'd like to end with, uh, th- this is beautiful uh, how this uh, ended up here today, Joseph. Uh, mm. um, and I'd like to just end with one of these universally, universally applicable truths to be tested in identity. And that is that um, anything that you're not willing to not have is an addiction and anything you're not willing to not have is going to be a false god and anything that is a false god is going to prevent you from um, uh, encountering the real divine being so let, let me just repeat that from a slightly different angle anything you're not willing to not have in your life meaning anything that you attached to or believe in or orient to or like uh, anything you're not willing to lose will prevent you from getting to the place joseph and i were just talking about now where life becomes your teacher instead of your own dead ending Mm -hmm. anything you're not willing to not have now if you would like the most sober kind of admonition to tell you whether or not you're ready to start testing some of these dynamics in identity what are you willing not willing to not have in your life and the degree of that answer which has about a hundred layers in the unconscious that you could only name probably a dozen or two conscious uh things or even that many uh is going to be your clue on um, how stuck you are in closed off um, versions that you think will get you to beauty bounty and meaning but the beauty, bounty, and meaning that we talk about in identity is the loss of all the things that you're not willing to not have. And yeah, so, and if I invert that for a moment, you know, I've worked with hundreds of people over the last 21 years, and you more people for longer. Maybe you'll agree with me. That's always the impediment. That's it. Yeah. Even like in the pure business coaching that I do, it always comes down to. They can't take whatever the step is um, because they're afraid of losing something, losing money, losing an identity, losing a role, losing prestige, losing image. It's always something that they're not willing to let go of. And uh, I remember one of my earliest clients who was a business client once said to me, uh, I'll I'll never forget it because it was so poignant. I gained more control than I was afraid of losing as a result of becoming a better manager, like not micro, he was a micromanager. And it was one of the first quotes I wrote down. I gained more control than I was afraid of losing. 
and he empowered his people and it wasn't really control we would say management really i gained more Mm -hmm. i don't know uh purview or um you know something else but it's just like yeah um you do what you're afraid to do there's an eleanor roosevelt quote you must do what you're afraid to do yes and I still I, I laugh with my uh, beloved all the time about this when we are dealing with some service person or um, you know frustrated with someone doing something, and I'll say, "Why is this person not?" And how come? They, and she's like, "Well, they're afraid. You know, it's obvious they're afraid." I'm like, "Yeah, but that's a reason to do it, not a reason <laughs> not to do it. Like, don't they get that? When you're afraid, you look at it and you probably decide to do it anyway. That's what the point right. of fear is." It's the whole reason fear exists um, is to alert us to what what the dead end we're operating at uh, unconsciously, right? Yeah, and we're not talking about crossing a freeway no. at rush hour. There's different, no, no, but no. you at least examine it and go, oh, maybe this is something that I could learn from. That's like, oh, what can't we teach this in like kindergarten? Like different kinds of fear. How hard would that be? You know? Oh, Joseph, what's uh, kindergarten? And this is no superiority. What's kindergarten, what's ABC for us is a PhD for uh, about half the earth. Um, So that that's not superiority. That's just our experience with love and heart and respect that everyone's in different places in their incarnation. It's the soul age thing. I've I've been thinking a lot about that. wanting to write an article about, um, you know, you if a 18 year old or if a 40 year old were to write something about like, well, they have, you know, Piaget and uh, what's yeah, his name, sure. Colbert, yeah. about the stages of development within a life, because, right. you know, and all of those people say, you know, by the time you're 22, you're done, right? Which is <laughs> self-actualized, right? Right. Oh, and that, oh, no, that, that could take longer. But in terms of, you know, the Piaget's concrete operational, <laughs> yes. you know, the... Yeah, you yeah. can't tell the difference between the tall glass of water and the short glass of water and they have the same volumes. But um, we, we can look at some of that within one life mm-hmm. and we would say, oh, no, to say, you know, that the five year old can't, you know, they're um, they're uh, limited in their um, uh, expressions of being because they can't tell the difference between these two volumes of water. We would have no problem with that. Um, or if we would say, well, the 18 year old never had a full time job, so they don't understand some things about responsibility. And we'd be all OK with that. But as soon as you make it a longer soul arc. Yes. And yes. we say things like, oh, this person's still pursuing happiness or hedonism yes. and they exactly. haven't learned such and such. Well, then now it's like fighting words because you're threatening yeah. their values and there's not and there's no, no accepted thing of that. And someone needs to write such a thing. Yes. Yet identity does that uh, 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 six times on Thursdays and uh, uh, seven times on Sunday. Just intuitively, so, like oh, just intuitive. Yes, yeah. exactly. Right. Well, I like to so. close with one, something that uh, um, uh, is is meta, but applicable to everything we've been saying. Mm. Uh, uh, I recently um, had an experience where someone learned enough about identity and enough about at least partially enough about its premises processes and not promised outcomes but intuitively feelable outcomes this person got all the way to the intuitively feeling of outcome what what identity can offer and then the person um, um, abruptly uh, stopped uh, unconsciously 
quit identity because this person said it 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 was a medication for hope for change oh wow that's a new one take that in for a moment i, I wanted to say this to you because i know you would get what i'm saying here the significance of this this person knew enough about identity and the personal representation of it that uh, Bree and I do. And, um, and they quit because it actually because they thought it might work. Yes, and the <laughs> oh, person did, did not want to medicate on the hope that it could actually solve the central issue. Oh, that's depression talking. There's so many things I could say about it. Um, wow, the tragedy of that, and this is mm. a beautiful beautiful person um and i was literally i haven't you know it takes a lot to make my jaw hit the floor mm. that one the closed the opened closeness of that was like 20 different like like how an orchestra tunes it before a uh, 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 a recital uh, all the discordant um uh, uh, noises of all the woods and all the brass and all yeah. the strings uh, that's what I, ha I had an, an immediate gestalt of. And then uh, some tears about the tragedy of this person who got this close and then walked away because they didn't want to have their hope be dashed if it happened not to work. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is, this is, there's no um, uh, uh, criticism or, or uh, paradigmatic um, uh, hee-haw we could have about this thing. This is a tragedy of the soul. I, I had a client once who didn't want to write down, this was a business client, who didn't want to write down their goals and stated something really similar. I don't want to write down my goals because then I'll be more disappointed when they don't happen. It's awful. Similar. Yeah, it resonates exactly. Yeah. Uh, um, and so uh, this is, that's a kind of a meta thing that identity um, uh, uh, really sees as a tragedy, but in the same way someone might say, well, how can you say, how, how can you, can you say that maybe all of your conclusions about the universal applicability of outcomes that happen in the, in, in uh, identity are based in your premises? Like with everything else? <laughs> uh, meaning this person uh, asked me one time, it was some years ago, that uh, if it's if your outcomes are based on your premises, then it's artificial. Uh huh. So like when you bake a cake with a recipe, there's no yeah. value in having no, no. a purpose. <laughs> so I, my answer to this person was, well, um, I guess that also applies to the premise of the uh, that uh, the paradigm your question comes from. <laughs> Well, that person, he went, huh? and the, 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 the small gathering erupted in laughter, but that person wasn't laughing. They didn't get it. Uh -huh. uh, so it's like it's the same thing as an atheist. Uh, if you're an atheist, technically, you have to assume that uh, all ideation of human beings are equivalent to what comes out of the south end of an elephant, Right. All philosophies, all perspectives, if all we are is matter-based um, uh, uh, exudate mm -hmm. of some kind, that it's lights out at death, that there's no deeper meaning of, a, of an oratorio uh, in, 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 from a composer, 
than um, uh, the vomit that comes out of uh, someone after they've eaten something bad, because all ideation in, in, in atheism is uh, is just nature. Yeah, it's just nature of some kind. So when, in that sense, same principle here. And I'm almost done. The person once asked me, um, you know, well, uh, you, do you acknowledge the possibility that there is no God? And I said, well, in, in the mystery of existence, of course, it's not my experience, but certainly that's possible. Um, but uh, uh, in that sense, uh, I, I brought him this um, natural kind of thing that all ideation, all philosophy is no different than the gassiness emissions of, a, of an elephant. Um, they said, oh, yeah, that's really true. I love that because uh, he was an atheist. And I said, well, what about your philosophy of atheism? <laughs> What if yeah. that was equivalent to what comes out at the south end of an L? Oh, no, no, that's that's got to be exempt. That's real truth, you see. Mm -hmm. So there's a beautiful example we can end with, with the limits of the mind. You know, yeah. um, they think it's so, people think it's so clever, they're so clever, and they have no meta to question their own mental body acuity. Yeah. And the more intelligent they are, the farther they are from meta usually. Mm -hmm. So unlike Einstein, who had some meta. Uh, right, because uh, consciousness and intelligence are sometimes um, quite inversely proportional in people who have a lot of technical training. Uh, yeah. We had a joke uh, in the halls of the uh, company where I, I learned how to uh, do business coaching. Um, we, we had a joke about uh, doctors, lawyers, engineers, and accountants, that they were mm -hmm. the hardest to coach because they had the most technical training and they made yeah. a false god out of reductionism. And yes. so you try to exactly, exactly you try to get them to think in terms of their emotional impact on people or the powerful power of writing a vision before it comes true, and they just like it doesn't compute because those things don't really fit in the mind. No, um, uh, you know, compared to ones and zeros and you know equations and whatnot. So, yeah, uh, yeah, and there it is. You know, you you can't you can't get to God by reductionism. Uh, it's the other way around. So a different vehicle, soul consciousness. Maybe we'll pick up on some other versions of that. Um, I, I'm getting a hunch uh, to talk a bit about money uh, next time. It's money and spirit, uh, spirituality and money. So um, maybe we'll talk about that the next uh, the next podcast if you're listening to this one. So I would yeah, I, I would love to talk about money. It's one of my favorite topics. My first okay. word was pennies. And my really? first, yes, this was, I, as a soul, I remember choosing to incarnate here and making a deal saying, I, I don't want to ever have money problems. And uh -huh. like, I, I want to have that going for me. And so my first word was pennies. And my first three word sentence was, I like pennies. <laughs> <laughs> That's how oh. it was programmed into me. <laughs> and, and I want to say to the wider audience here that Joseph uh, that particular orientation, this life has come true for him, for, yep. for Joseph. He's, uh, he's, I wouldn't call him a money magnet, but he just, it's just not an issue for him. It's not yeah. an issue. He, he didn't program it. And he knew how hard it was going to be yeah. to reboot some of the dynamical bandwidths of the consciousness of this life. And he just, don't bother me with that shit. Yeah. You know? The <laughs> other five things I have is, I mean, I'm not totally clean with money, but yeah, I do so, notice like when I see people's yeah. money issues, there's a curiosity of like, why you got so much screwed up money issues? Cause I just got a pass on that category for this life. And, uh, it's yeah. really nice. Uh, sometimes when things are very hard 
because, I, well, I mean, if I, if I had money problems, I would have suicided a long time ago. I, I wouldn't have been able to make it. And, and that, and you knew that. That's why. Um, uh, uh, differently, I, I had, I did program money problems into uh, my, my track this lifetime uh, because uh I, I, I knew I wouldn't suicide, uh, mm-hmm. even though I came close twice mm-hmm. because of, uh, of uh, that kind of uh, lack of resource. So uh, talking about the spiritual um, dimensions of money, um, uh, and there is such a thing, mm-hmm. uh, should be interesting to most people because most people in the new age anyway are asking that question all the time. Why is it so hard for spiritually oriented people to uh, uh, magnetize money? Uh, mm-hmm. And so we will take up that track uh, uh, with our next maybe one or two yeah. casts. Is that yeah. okay? Yeah, it sounds great. I love that topic. Cool. Well, anyone whose first words were "I like pennies" is uniquely qualified uh, to host a thing, uh, a podcast on spirituality and money. Yeah, as if that actually means anything, but it turns out it did. Uh, it, did. it didn't necessarily mean anything. No, anyway. but it did wind up. Yeah. Well, thank you so much, Stace. This was super rich. And um, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. thank you, listeners. Tune in next time for The Money Conversation. We wish you well on your journey. Thanks for listening to the Heart of Soul podcast. To learn more about Stace Barron and Identity, please visit identity.org. To learn more about Joseph Shapiro, visit clearandopen.com. Until next time. We wish you well on your journey.